So many years ago, I joined an organization known as the Cub Scouts. Uh, now, I made this decision not because I wanted to learn survival skills or I, I loved being outdoors. No, I, I did this because my friends were doing it and they told me we'd get to play capture the flag. So Cub Scouts eventually uh, transitions to Boy Scouts. And uh, I would love to show you guys a picture of me in my Boy Scout uniform, but apparently in the three months I lasted in the Boy Scouts, which is a story for another time, we did not think it was a significant thing enough in my life to take a picture so it doesn't exist. However, the first time I went for a hike with the Scouts, uh, they told me to bring a compass. And now I knew what a compass was, but I'd never actually had one, so my mom took me to the store and we got a compass. I'm pretty sure we went to Kmart, that's how long ago that was. And I thought the compass was the coolest thing because no matter what I did, it pointed the same direction. And so my brothers and I were figuring out, what if we go on the roof? You know, what if we're, what if we're in the basement? Like, what if we're here? And, and I had absolutely no idea how that worked, but I tried so hard to make it point somewhere other than north, and there's nothing I could have done about it. Now, I didn't exactly have YouTube or Wikipedia to figure it out, so had you asked me at that point, how does a compass work? And I'd say, something about magnets. I don't know. And that was enough in those days. Uh, but what was great about it is I learned that basically there's a magnet that pulls and causes it to point. Please don't come up and correct me afterwards. It's not that important to me. Some of you science people are probably dying inside a little bit. You're like, he's getting it wrong. Um, but the idea here is that it's always going to point in this direction. And so uh, moments ago, our students went up to the board. And, 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 and those of you who didn't finish will just go up afterwards. And we see how their experience is varied. They're different ages, different backgrounds, and they did different things at camp, different rec activities. Go ahead and put the board up there. Let's take a look at this. Some of them will say that horses was their favorite experience. Some of them loved the, the blob, which is the giant thing in the water where you put somebody on the edge, and then I heard a rumor that Seth was bouncing people off of there, so that's pretty amazing. For some people, then, what changed? Well, some people really made a first-time decision to follow Jesus, right? That's pretty awesome. Other people, it was a new direction. It was, I'm following Jesus, but I need to repent. I need to go in a different direction. And for others, it was, you know what? God has fueled a greater passion in me. How I'll thrive, some are gonna devote themselves to prayer. Some are gonna invest in community, read their Bible. Some are even going to reach their friends. They're gonna share their faith with them. Different places, different backgrounds, different experiences, but no matter what, in the same way that a compass always points north, Everything the students did this week and every decision they make, it all points to Jesus. But, but why? Why is it so important for us to point to Jesus just as a compass points north? Well, that is a great question. You guys always ask such great questions. And so why don't we take some time and answer that? Find Colossians 1 in your Bible. And the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul. Find Colossians 1 in your Bible. I don't see enough movement out there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, get it on your phone. I don't have a lot of great stories to tell you, but we're going to look and see what God's word says. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He was a former Jew, and he met Jesus and learned that life was not just all about rules and regulations, but about knowing the God who created him. And so he wrote this letter to the church at a place called Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. And when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome, and one of his main purposes in writing it was to confront a false teaching. Because there were these people who were they, were, they were throwing some shade at Jesus. They, they were saying, Jesus is not that important. And they were wrong. You know what? Tell the person next to you and tell them with a little bit of attitude, say, they were wrong. 
They were wrong because in the brief time we have this morning, I have three simple things about pointing to Jesus. And if you know me by now, you know I'm very needy up here. And so I need a little encouragement. And so if you're ready, if you're with me, I need you to say, go. Go. That was pretty good. All right, first thing, history points to Jesus. Verse 15, Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. History points to Jesus, the image of the invisible God. The word image means, uh, the first. you can throw the first point up there, history points to Jesus. The word image means exact representation. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of an invisible God. Let's look at a couple other verses to better understand this. So in the book of Exodus, Moses says to God, God, show me your glory. And God says to him, you can't handle my glory, but I'm gonna cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I'm gonna proclaim my name in your presence. So we know that God's presence, there's something awesome about it. God tells Moses that in Exodus 33, he says, but you can't see my face and live. No one who sees me will live. So, so if you see God as he is, you're, you're done. Right? That's how awesome the glory of God is. Well, John 1.18, though, says, no one has ever seen God, but God, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So God has never been seen. His essence is invisible. No one can see his face. Oh, but I've seen God. No, you haven't. You have not seen him in all of his glory, but he has made himself known through Jesus. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God dwells in an unapproachable light, which no one has seen or can see. So God dwells in a light that is not approachable, that no one can see and no one has seen. And then John 4, 24 says that God is spirit. So let's put this together. God is a spirit who dwells in unapproachable light. No one has seen him, no one can see him. His face cannot be seen, for no one could live if they saw him as he was. But let's go back to John 1, 18. It says, no one has ever seen God, but the God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. And so the same God that no one has seen, no one can see, has said, I want you to know me. I mean, if you see me in all my glory, you're done, so let's not do that. But I'm gonna gonna represent myself fully through Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of a spirit God who dwells in unapproachable light. No one can see God in all his glory, but God has said, I want you to know me. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now the word firstborn in the original language, which is Greek, does not mean the first one to be born out of a woman. Although no one was born before Jesus existed. I want to make sure you're getting this. Show me with the number of fingers how many people were born before Jesus existed. Show me. Zero. Nobody was born before he existed. So what does firstborn mean? It means first of importance. It means first rank. And so Jesus is the exact representation of a God that no one has seen or can see. And as a result... He is the most important, highest ranked anything ever. Well, what's the point? Well, the point is that history, all the events ever, they point to Jesus because he is more important than anything that's ever happened. Oh, but we just had this great experience. Jesus is more important. Yeah, but you don't know about, Jesus is more important. He came first and he represents a God who wants to be known. History is really his story. Everything else is just noise. Let me say that again. All of history, all of the events are his story. Everything else is just noise. And so when you look at your history, when you look at the events of your life, some because of choices you've made, some because you live in a world that is broken, know this, it all points to him. It is all part of his story. What's he doing in this? 
Well, he may not be causing the events. Again, we live in a broken world, and God is working to fix it. Well, what's he doing to fix it? Well, he's using us. But the thing is, what is God is always doing? You can always ask this. What is he doing in this situation? Well, he's pointing to Jesus. Loved ones, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your history, no matter what your baggage, maybe Father's Day is a heavy day for you, maybe you've gone through a tough season, know that Jesus is greater, that he is bigger, he is better, and he can work good from the worst situation ever, the worst. And he can work good because all history is his, because nothing is greater. Second thing, verse 16, creation points to Jesus. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things were created for him and by him. And so heaven, earth, visible, invisible, he made it all. There are 100 billion stars in our galaxy. He made them all. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years across. He made it. There are maybe more than 200 billion galaxies in the universe. He made it all, and he made it for himself. We are here for him, and he made it because he could. Isaiah 66, 1, a great verse. God is speaking, and he says, I always know, why do I say that great verse? There's not really bad verses in the Bible, but uh, I don't know why I said that either. I'll just keep going. Uh, heaven is my throne. I wrote this message in a day, so you're gonna get a lot of impra. Um, He's, I need to stop, seriously. Okay, back on track. <laughs> Isaiah 66, one, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That means the earth, the Grand Canyon, the Swiss Alps, the rainforest, the glaciers, they are all for him. They are his footstool. He sits back on a recliner and puts his feet up on our world because he is so much bigger than it. Isaiah 44, 24, this is what the Lord says your redeemer who formed you in the womb. He says, I am the Lord who has made all things, who alone stretched out to heaven, and I did it by myself. He made it all. I think this world is beautiful, but it's such a small part of this universe. And uh, a couple years ago, uh, I taught a message on, uh, um, on this passage, and I, and I showed you the, the pale blue dot image. And I, and I thought that was worth revisiting, the pale blue dot. And this is a photograph of planet Earth, taken in 1990 by the Voyager 1 space probe. It was taken from a record distance of 6 billion kilometers, which is 3.7 billion miles from Earth. And it was a part of the solar system family portrait series of images. And what you're seeing here is a dot. It's 0.12 pixels in size against the vastness of space. And so what happened is Voyager 1 had finished its primary mission, and it was, it was, it was on its way back. And NASA said, hey, turn around and just take another picture. And it turns around and just... And that's what we got you're like, wow, it's riveting. It looks like somebody got dust on that. But here's the thing. What that's pointing to, that's us. That's Earth against the expanse of space. And so astronomer Carl Sagan says this about that picture. He says, from this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest, but for us it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, explorer, teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, 
Every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage of, in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in this universe are challenged by this point of pale light because our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. Colossians 1 says, For him, by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, they were all created for him and by him. And he made it all. And that means it's all about him. But, but, but Rob, you're making us feel small. Well, well, you are small. All of us are. We, we are so little. We were made by and for a really big God for things that are bigger than any of us. And so creation, it all points to him. He says, hey, look, guys, look, I'm loved ones. I am, I am bigger. I am better than anything. Look what I can do. Look what I can do, and it's not even hard. Look at who I am. And the one who made it all, the one who made the 100 or 200 billion galaxies says, I love you. I know you. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Look at the stars, the sky, the sun. Look at the mountains, the oceans, the beautiful green fields. They all point to me. Silly, this isn't about you. This is about me. It's my story. And so everything in history and everything in creation points to Jesus. And that leads us to our final point, which is this, that we point to Jesus. Verse 17 says, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Well, why should I put Jesus first? Well, because Colossians 1.17 says, he is before all things. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. I mean, you see a theme here, right? He's kind of a big deal. He's the firstborn of all creation, most important. He's before everything. And so here he is. He, he made everything. He holds it all together. And Jeremiah 32, 17 tells us that whatever happens, it's not too hard for him. It says this, ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. It says nothing is too hard for you. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm dealing with. Nothing is too hard for him. And he is the head of the body, Colossians 1.18, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And so we put Jesus first because he is superior to everything. Because he is the head, he is the source of the church. And make no mistake about it, the church is not a building. The church is us, it's people. And so let me break this down as I, as I close. And yes, history points to Jesus. Every event that happens is less than him. Every event that happens is one that he can work good from. It's his story. We're all a part of it. History does not limit him. Creation points to him. But maybe you're here and you're like, yeah, but the Christian life, it's so hard. Did you know that he never asked us to live it on our own? That he says, you know what? It, it's not about you. It's about me working through you. And so what we saw this week were so many people that are sitting here on the floor surrender and say, wait a minute, you mean I don't have to try harder? 
I don't have to do more. No, 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 you have to surrender. You have to recognize that you can't. You have to recognize that you are small. You have to recognize that to thrive means you just let go and you let him work through you in history, creation. It all points to Jesus, but so do we because we were created for his greatness, for his glory. You wanna know what your purpose is? You came to church this morning, I might as well tell you something useful. Here it is, you were created to display the greatness of God. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your experiences, that is why you were made, to display the greatness of God. The Bible tells us that we are his workmanship, we are made in Christ Jesus for good works, and he has prepared us for that. The word I love is that we are image bearers of God. We are here to bear his image. Um, I, I grew up as a St. Louis Cardinal fan, and so I had a jersey uh, from Hall of Famer Ozzie Smith that I used to wear all the time. And what was the thing about wearing someone's jersey is you're representing them. I'm representing the team. I'm representing the individual. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we are representing the team, the church, and we are representing the individual, Jesus Christ. And we don't have to wear his jersey because we wear his name. And so what does that look like for us? Well, I wrote down a few things here that we should be doing if we're going to have our lives point to Jesus. I wrote down that we should know him because to know where you're pointing, you gotta know the one who's setting the course. And that's surrender, that's transformation, that's saying, God, I wanna know you. Well, the best time for me, my favorite part of, of Ignite is the, their time alone with God. We call it tog time. Because they are out there getting to know God. They are out there spending time with them. It's not programmed. It's not us doing a show. It's not even the cabin time, which is great. We are created to display his greatness. We are created to know our creator. And as we know him, we learn to trust him. And we know we're trusting him when we're obeying him. And so I wonder, how's that going? Like, do you trust him? It's hard. You know, my wife and I were talking recently just about sometimes you gotta step out and you gotta trust him, you gotta do what God is saying, even when you're not quite sure how it's gonna end, simply because you trust him. In the same way, I have this thing with my kids where I'll be like, hey, get in the car, let's go. Where are we going? Just get in the car. So there was this season where they kind of stopped doing that. They're like, well, I don't, I don't wanna go then. So I would take one of their sisters and they'd come back and regret it. Because it's always fun to go with dad, right? And, and, and so eventually, and seriously, like last night, I was like, well, one of my kids was standing outside and said, hey, get in the car, let's go. Okay. They trust me. <laughs> one of these times, I mean, they're gonna, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I'm never gonna do something bad. I don't wanna violate that, but so I'm not gonna be like, great, now we're gonna go do some work. And, um, but with God, are, are you all in like that? Where you're just like, Lord, whatever you say, I'm, I'm gonna know you, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna obey you. You guys wanna know what to do next? There it is. Know him, trust him, obey him. And here's just two ways to do that. To be in community, Nobody thrives alone. Nobody does. We all need other people. Well, I'm fine. You're not fine. You need other people. And so whether it's a small group, whether it's getting connected here, but you know what we really need? We need our families to invest. Mom and dad, we need you to be setting the tone. And so if you haven't done this yet, within the next few days, take your kid out. <laughs> These kids are like, no. But take them out. Say, what's your favorite place to eat? Let's go. I just wanna hear what God's doing in your life. Just tell me about Ignite, and hey, here's an idea, tell them. Okay, don't give them a filtered version. And you heard what Brian said, it's kinda of like, don't freak out. Be excited that God's working in their life. Because nobody thrives alone. And then the last thing is to tell others. Tell others, hey, I wonder, I'm gonna put you guys in the spot, but how many of you, since you've come back, have shared your story with a friend the way Brian told you to? 
Look at this. These are people, this, you know what this means? All right, thank you guys. It means they texted somebody who doesn't know Jesus or talked to them, probably texted, and told them their story. That means they responded to that. Did you see how many people raised their hand? Some, some of you didn't. You know what? If, you, if you've done that, if you've done that, just stand up real quick. If you told, I just want everybody to see this. Everybody see this. These are people that they, that's saying that they told somebody about Jesus. Look at that. You're getting a smattering of applause. All right, you guys sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. Sit down, sit down, sit down. Thank you, thank you. That's awesome because that's how you thrive. You thrive in community. You thrive when you tell other people. You thrive because you know him and you trust him and you obey him. And I know that uh, when one of my daughters did this, um, I said, you know, inside I'm like dying because I'm like, what happens if she goes and tells her friends her story and her friend is just like, says something negative and it, we're trusting God. We're saying, Lord, I'm just gonna obey and the results are totally and completely up to you. And so, hey, what do we do as a response to today? We surrender even more. We say, God, I wanna thrive and to do that, I have to recognize who you are, that you are so much greater, that I am so small and that this life is yours. And so I'm gonna pray over us and then we'll, uh, we'll worship a little bit more. And so, Father, Thank you so much for the awesome experience we have um, to, to go and meet with you. And thank you for so many people. I mean, I, I, I have never been a part of something that is more team-oriented than, than leading Ignite. And it is awesome to literally see, uh, I mean, 20-plus adult leaders and literally hundreds of parents who are saying, we're going to invest in this. We're going to give our resources, our time. And then students who trust us who show up at the church not knowing what kind of buses we're taking or if it's even showing up. <laughs> they, they, they come and they say, you know what, we trust you and we, we trust what God is gonna do. And they don't know the program and, and, and many, most of them disconnect from society. But Lord, we're just here because we just recognize we were made for something greater. And so it's my prayer that our lives would point to Jesus. Lord, that we would trust you, that we would obey because we know you. Well, how are you gonna step out for God? Well, I know him. And I know he's good. I know he's big. And I know he works all things for my good because I love him. Help us to be people who live in community, who tell others, and we will give you all the glory. May our lives point to Jesus. And everybody says, amen.